0: Welcome to History Matters, the podcast about history, teaching history, and why it matters. Welcome to season two of History Matters with Steve Blankenship and Shannon Bontrager. To begin this season, this first episode Fifton Puckett, the co-curricular and transition programs coordinator at Georgia Highlands College invited Steve and I to discuss why we vote for the upcoming midterm elections in November 2022. Students joined the three of us and we talked about how this election is so important and why everyone should register to vote and cast their ballot this November. Join us.
1: Start with the first question and that is obviously presidential elections get a lot of the attention but over the last decade or so we've seen focus shift to these midterm elections are midterm elections just as more or not
2: as important as our presidential ones? well uh, traditionally the incumbent party suffers in the midterm elections which of course is what's anticipated this year. Um, Over the course of spring and summer, it was widely held that the Republicans were going to sweep the Democrats out of both the House and the Senate in large numbers. And this, this obviously is important because it impacts the ability of the president to get any programs passed, any legislation even considered. I've noticed though in the past, I don't know, few weeks, that the polls are projecting something else. That is the Democrats may actually do better in this midterm than anticipated. And one poll that I saw or one analyst commented that this was due in part to the recent Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. And this was a highly motivating factor for American women. Uh, to go to the polls. So midterms are obviously very important because they impact the capacity of the executive branch to to actually get anything done. Shannon, what do you think?
0: Well, I think midterms are extremely important. Um, It's uh, okay. The uh, president isn't on the ticket, uh, granted, uh, but you're still electing senators uh, and you're still electing congressmen. Congress men and women get elected every two years. So uh, the House can change balance uh, every every two years. So, you know, the decision that people made two years ago to elect a, a representative to the House of Representatives, they're either going to uh, make that same decision or choose differently in two years. And I think this is an important point about Democracy in America, we actually don't have a very responsive system. Um, right. A president is elected every four years. A senator is elected every six years. Right. So for five years, a senator doesn't have to listen to us at all until that election year. The House is different. The House is supposed to be the most democratic version of government that we have. They're elected every two years. And so I think the midterms are very important to um, uh, gauging uh, kind of what people are thinking and, uh, and they, can, they can change. They can critique a president or they can reinforce a president. This, this fact, by the way, Steve, well, I question whether it's a fact. I know the media says this all the time, but I don't really, I'm not convinced that the incumbent party traditionally loses. That's completely untrue. If we're talking about the 1920s and the 1930s, And the 1940s, for that matter, like historically, okay, maybe the how the party in power in the 1920s, the Republicans held power in all the the House, the Senate and the White House from 1920 all the way to 1932. And they only lost uh, started losing influence in in the 1930 election, you know, after the Depression hit. Sure. And it's the same for the Democrats in the 30s and the 40s, like they hold majorities in both. Uh, year in, year out, maybe those majorities fluctuate a little bit, but I feel like this fact needs to be uh, qualified. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's a recent phenomenon. Uh, one thing that bothers me when people bring this fact, this more recent trend out, is it kind of suggests that it's inevitable that the midterm is going to swing to the opposition. Right. Right. And historically, I just don't think that's true. And I think people have an opportunity to, uh, particularly in the midterms, to influence policies um, and the direction of the country in ways that they don't necessarily do in the general election. Here's a, a chance to correct or to uh, expand ideas that people want. So I think it's very important. And I, I think it's sad that you know, gen, generally speaking, there's fewer people who show up to vote in the midterms. It's, I think that's a mistake.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's a point well taken, especially this year, because uh, like I mentioned earlier, there is a suspicion that the Roe v. Wade decision is going to uh, galvanize uh, a lot of people to vote that might otherwise have stayed home. So this could, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there are a number of Republican candidates who have uh, tried to water down their uh, abortion messages over the past six weeks, because the polls indicate that the Supreme Court decision is not popular and that conservatives may pay a political price for this uh, in November.
0: Many websites have been scrubbed uh, the past couple of
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> past couple of weeks. I think uh,
2: um,
0: yeah, uh, it's interesting. I think this is an interesting year to be looking at midterms because, as you say, uh, the media I feel has created this inevitable. Oh, the Republicans are gonna, the opposition is gonna win, and mm-hmm. we're seeing that possibly uh, shift in real time. So
2: it's important. Yeah. I I think also this phenomenon is, um, like you said, it's more recent. And I think in part, it's built upon the way we do television nowadays. Uh, Everything is loud. Everything is in opposition. A lot of yelling, a lot of talking heads, a lot of flashing lights and bells and whistles. Uh, We treat politics now the way uh, ESPN covers sports with a lot of goofballs and talking heads going back and forth. So I think a lot of this is generated for clicks and for viewers, uh, for websites and for TV networks and uh, to try to generate uh, interest where otherwise uh, there might not be quite as much interest. Mm. We've created a kind of live, I don't know, when I was a kid, there was a show called Live Atlanta Wrestling. And it was a lot of, people throwing chairs and throwing each other out of the ring and calling an ambulance and police showing up. It was all fake, but it was great television. And I get the sense sometimes that our, our politics is being influenced by this compulsion to make a spectacle.
1: Well, I think you see that in the debates, you know, when I was on the debate team in high school and it was, it was actual debates. You know, you talked about issues and everything. The debates we have now, especially the Trump-Hillary debates, I mean, that was ratings and only for ratings. I mean, there was no, there was no ideological discourse whatsoever.
2: Yeah, it was a farce, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, it's
0: interesting. Yeah, I would agree. It was really about showmanship, which, of course, is what um, the former president Trump that's that's his pathway to 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 victory that was his strategy i think but i wonder too if it's television and technology or is it money like the other argument here is that money influences the elections in ways that um i guess can be helpful in that it gets messages out more but also can be problematic um in terms of this is so much money and so many ads and and even my 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 young one, he's in the other room right now watching uh, a Minecraft video on YouTube. And all these ads are showing up. about it. Like he'll come in here and he'll start reciting verbatim. Dad, did you know that Governor Kemp did this? Dad, did you know... That Senator Warnock, he doesn't even know who Senator Warnock or Governor Kemp is, but he can recite these ads. And yes. I have to laugh because I'm wondering, like, like, you guys have so much money, you're actually wasting it on a six-year-old
2: who can't yes. vote. <laughs>
1: Maybe this is a follow-up, maybe maybe this midterm may not be a great example because it seems like it's shifting to now abortion might be on the ballot, but in general, is the president figuratively on the ballot during the midterm? And then maybe even for this, so let's just look at this midterm, is Biden on the ballot or let's just address the elephant in the room, no pun intended, is Trump on the ballot?
2: Figuratively. That's a good question. Um, I suppose those Trump endorsed candidates that are, you know, Pennsylvania and other places that, uh, whether they succeed or fail, you know, they're going to be analysts sort of reading the entrails here and trying to de- determine what exactly that means. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, that's interesting. I know that that is one of the things that I'm especially interested in watching for is exactly how do the Trump endorsed candidates do in this midterm um, to see if that virus is continuing to spread or if it's starting to recede a bit. Uh, So for me, that's probably the most uh, interesting part of this midterm election.
0: It's interesting. Uh, In some ways, I would say yes, that and I think this is what the Biden administration, I mean, probably would prefer the uh, for abortion and I would argue also gun safety legislation is, is a big uh, influential issue, particularly with suburban um, families uh, who send their kids to school. Sure. Uh, I think that's also on the ballot, but and I think that if you were President Biden, you would probably prefer those issues to be dominating uh, the discussion. And I think if you were um, for President Trump or on the Republican side, you would want to try to make the election about uh, Joe Biden, just from a strategic observational point of view, I think it's going to be hard to make it about Joe Biden. Now, this may not have been the case three months ago, but now there's been from the Biden administration quite a few successes legislatively and in other ways. You know, about a year ago from now, uh, about a year ago, this uh, the, the pullout from Afghanistan was just devastating to the Biden administration. Right. I really didn't think it was going to be as devastating as it was, but I think uh, Biden got a lot of blame for that. And his numbers really started to go down yep. in the wake of that. But now they seem to be coming back a bit more. And with these other issues, uh, it seems like, uh, I think I think there is a sort of a moment here where uh Americans are going to determine kind of what direction do they want to go? Uh, Are they going to restrict abortion, particularly in the state of Georgia, uh, to incredibly, uh, I would say, quite, quite restrictive laws in Georgia and in other states? Um, Are, um, are gun laws? Are they are, 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 is Georgia going to continue to allow anybody to carry a concealed weapon without a permit or having to go through a process which is now uh the case in the state of georgia uh in this way i think the election is less about uh president biden or former president trump and more about kind of local and state issues i think so i think that's sometimes what gets lost if we choose is this about this or that what we oftentimes forget is that elections i think are oftentimes very very local Mm -hmm. that there is this sort of issues, these issues of the federal government overhead. And I'm not saying they're not influential. I think they are. But I also think people are motivated by issues that are affecting them or that they worry about uh, on a local level. What can the federal government do or the state government do uh, on the local level? Which, let's face it, COVID is still um, impacting uh, that unemployment still impacting that inflation still impacting that so I think in a lot of ways these are very local issues that people are also very motivated by
2: yeah that's that's a good point uh, uh what was what was the tip o'neill's uh, famous saying all politics local um just within my family I have a extraordinary number of uh, sister-in-laws uh my wife's family is a uh, Uh, There must be nine sisters, I think. And I did an informal poll among these sister-in-laws, and they're all quite conservative. Uh, They tend to vote Republican, and they're quite conservative. And they were all appalled by the Supreme Court decision regarding abortion. And it has impacted their, uh, their approach to this election. They... They're having second thoughts. And uh, this may be important because a lot of our politics is now entrenched. There are people on the left that would um, under no circumstances vote for a Republican. And there are people on the right that regard the Democratic party as little better than uh, the Bolsheviks. Um, So these entrenched elements on both sides if there is an issue that can wedge them out of the trenches, abortion might be one. Because you've got to remember, it's been since 73 uh, that Roe v. Wade was, uh, was argued. And so we have a generations here that have been used to the idea of women having autonomy or sovereignty over their own bodies uh, without distant bureaucrats having a say in it. And now suddenly that's been complicated. And this may be uh, both a local and national issue, an issue that the president can use to try to uh, gain support for the Democratic Party nationally, and an issue that can be used locally uh, regarding accessibility uh, to abortion. So um, it's going to be extremely interesting to see uh, the outcome of this midterm based on that alone.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I think in that regard, this goes to locality. I think abortion is about as local of a politics as you can get. Yes, it is the federal government has something to say about it, but it affects individuals in profound ways. Yes. That um, it's intimate and individual and powerful. And as you say, you have an unelected group of people um arguing, uh, and I uh, and and I probably should do full disclosure here, uh, the American Historical Association of which I'm on the Governing Council, we sent a letter to the Supreme Court on the Dobbs case. Right. Out, uh, we were uh, not necessarily supporting one side or the other, but there was a historical amicus brief tied to that. And we supported that historical amicus brief to suggest that there has actually been a history uh, involved here that should be considered, and shockingly, the Supreme Court, uh, well, at least in the majority opinion, uh, argued the most ahistorical argument. They completely discounted all the history behind the issue. Yes. And, and so you have a group of unelected people, and some of them are controversially appointed to these positions, who are now making decisions that affect people's everyday life. And I think that's the idea that I'm suggesting here: that that, particularly this midterm election, is ve- abortion is a very local
2: issue. Well, you know, the conservatives are going to want to talk about inflation, 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 in order to hurt the Democrats, and the Democrats are going to talk. Roe v. Wade and abortion to hurt the conservatives. So, in a sense, you've got a national issue and a, a local issues com- competing here. Well, and, I guess
0: sorry ahead. to inter- interrupt. I guess that's you reminded me very well that inflation is also very intimate and individual and local as well. Um, this is why everybody talks about the gas pre- the gas pump because everybody on an individual local way to get to work. You've got to put gas. You know, in the tank and you've got to go to the grocery store to buy food, literally to put food on the table. And so that's also an animating politics as local issue too.
2: Yeah, and here we get kind of the absurdity of um, uh, whereby everything is politicized. I mean, people blame Biden for inflation uh, and seem to forget that we live in a globalized economy of remarkable complexity, And the prices of gas and food are not impacted by the actions of one man. This is something that's endemic to the sort of globalized economy. Uh, Yet we use it as a stick with which to beat the opposition. Um, So I'm looking forward to it. It's only eight weeks away. Uh, On the way home today, if I have time, I'm going to stop at the local voting precinct and make sure that my absentee ballot is going to be mailed to me. I got spoiled during COVID and I like being able to fill out my ballot at home and drop it into a ballot box and not have to wait in line.
0: What's at stake why clifton this is such an important election as well so there's these local issues that we've been arguing about these and national and federal issues but i think also on the ballot uh is and people might not necessarily pay top bill attention to this but on the ballot i think is also american foreign policy particularly a policy towards ukraine that if certain individuals are elected Uh, the policy could shift dramatically. Um, And as we're speaking now, it seems like Ukraine has made quite a few gains of the last week on the battlefield. Uh, You know, if the policy was to shape, for example, if Congress won't appropriate money, uh, then, you know, this could have serious consequences in terms of American foreign policy and American leadership. The environment is also... Very heavily on uh, the the ballot, I think, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, that you know, depending on the makeup of the Senate or the House, um, environmental policies could change or um, be transformed, or or in in many different ways. So I was making a case a few minutes ago that politics is local, but you know, there's there's there are these other issues to contend with if you support Ukraine, then you may be interested in voting one way over the other. That may be something that your vote actually counts for. Yes, Um,
2: absolutely. Well, you'll remember a couple of years ago, uh, Trump's first impeachment was triggered because of uh, this uh, Ukrainian business, this notion that we might supply arms and money to Ukraine in exchange for dirt on Biden. Uh, You remember the infamous phone call with Zelensky. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, there's, if there is a consensus regarding national security and the Ukrainian issue. Uh, it hasn't been talked about in the midterms, but it'll certainly come up in 24. Well, so far, I think there has been. Congress
0: has um, appropriated money every time that yep. the um, president has asked for yep. it. There was some talk that there was some growing pushback from that. And I, I could imagine considering what you just brought up, the history of the first impeachment and some of the politics that go into Ukraine, that there there may be uh, some resistance to further appropriating money to Ukraine, particularly because uh, in America, there's some interesting conservative, evangelical um, support of Vladimir Putin. Uh, They see him as um, a Christian warrior uh, that they feel is an important political actor. Um, there um, are a lot of uh, even, I guess, uh, your your standard Republicans who um, are not willing to criticize Russia as much as perhaps they would have in the nineteen fifties. Right. Uh, so I I totally if certain if the if certain if the Congress goes in one way or another. It's not a foregone conclusion that the U.S. will continue to support. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's not a foregone yeah. conclusion that the U.S. will continue to support Ukraine or continue to push for environmentalism or things like that.
2: Um, I'm glad you brought up uh, environmentalism, Shannon. The, um, we, seem to re- we seem to be reaching that point of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, sort of cascading events within the climate with uh, sustained wildfires in the West, rising sea levels, um, increased uh, uh, tornadic activity in the Midwest and hurricane, just on and on and on. And my point is that there seems to be suddenly an increasing awareness on the part of the average American that we are at a tipping point and that political action is required and the two parties appear to be Quite different in their stance on climate change, so there are a number of big issues here that could, uh, you know, that could bode well for the Democrats. Um, well, know. let
0: me throw in a, a little critique of that because I'm not so sure. I think there's lots of Republicans who are also supportive of environmental measures. Right. I was I was listening to Adam Twos. He's this uh, economic historian. He's got a podcast, and I quite admire him. He's uh, he's really interesting. And he did a, a show the, the other day talking about the Build Back Better program, which uh, I think he nicely characterizes as a new, a Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez sort of promoted this initially, and uh, that failed. So mm-hmm. that was undermined. But when Joe Manchin came back on board and got this latest environmental, and let's face it, Manchin is a pretty conservative Democrat. He's got Mm -hmm. a lot of Republican friends and I'm sure he was talking to a lot of Republicans uh, on the side. What Manchin was and Schumer were able to negotiate is not a green new deal, but a environmental military and environmental industrial complex is what Adam two's called it. In other words, this was not going to be the government spending like the new deal did. This is going to be a private, a public private partnership where corporations and tax incentives are going to be used to um, to try to bring about a response to this environmental crisis that's going on. Now, wouldn't you say? Isn't that? Wouldn't you say that that is more in line with uh, more of a of a, a conservative, like a like a mainstream 1960s mainstream Republican view of of how to tackle problems uh, in in that regard? I, I think that that Republicans who are kind of mainstream would be very, very happy with
2: this- um, This emphasis on public- Environmental
0: and public. industrial complex.
2: Yeah, yeah, because their emphasis here on uh, private industry's contribution to it as opposed to being mandated by the federal government. Yeah, I, I think so. I, and you, if you notice uh, increasingly, uh, large corporations in their commercials um, are taking note. Of climate issues and how they're contributing uh, to try to alleviate some of these problems. So the message is sinking in in corporate America, and I like the I like tooze's notion of uh, uh, how you just characterized it this uh, environmental industrial complex that, that is, is that is perhaps more appealing to uh, a large portion of the electorate than the notion of a Green New Deal, which is frightening to me.
1: Question: We have a. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard some say in a mostly red state like Georgia, "What does my one vote matter?" Is there truth to that, or no? And especially, I guess now you know you can't really say Georgia is a mostly red state. If you had two Democratic senators, but you know, if you look at our representatives, we're still pretty heavy on the red. So, is is there truth to it?
2: Well, my motto is to vote early and vote often. So. No, I, 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 I love to vote, I, um, I take it very seriously. Now, I've been voting a long time and quite often I'll vote for a, a dissenting candidate, a third party candidate, uh, uh, simply to express my displeasure with the mainstream candidates. I don't regard that as wasted vote. I regard that as my, uh, my voice. Um, so I, uh, I take voting very seriously. And in a state like Georgia, where, as we saw in the last election, um, it was quite uh, quite close. What was it, 11,600 and something votes? I remember Trump asking for an exact number of votes in order to try to swing the state of Georgia. I think it was 11,600 something. Uh, my vote counted. I have neighbors, uh, parents and a child. We're, we're close friends, but they're quite conservative. And we actually made a deal. Um, recently, whereby I would give them one conservative vote for Governor Kemp in exchange, they would give me three votes for Senator Warnock against against Herschel Walker. So I, uh, I I take it I take it quite seriously and uh, to think that your vote is wasted is uh, to me is kind of absurd. This is your opportunity to uh, if for nothing else for your own conscience to express uh, your political will
0: i hope you trust them hope hope you trust them to go to to honor the deal such gentlemanly
2: yeah such they gentlemanly, uh, uh they were a little suspicious of me too shannon so you know but i well, gave them my word that i would do it so. <laughs> hey can you guys hear me yeah hello hey uh how do you guys feel about the idea of uh, ranked choice voting?
0: Because um, Alaska had that election and Palin lost, and she, she dismissed the election results as fraud because of ranked choice voting. Joshua, thanks for that question. I think it's fantastic because particularly here in Georgia, um, what drives me crazy is this 50 plus one majority that a candidate has to get and if you don't get that, then we have to have this runoff re-election, which uh, did change in the last uh, in the Senate, um, the two Senate runoffs last time. But usually it is a waste of time and money. It is uh, it prolongs the political system of the political season and uh, it rarely do things change. And I, I really despise this 50 plus one runoff system personally I think it's terrible and the rank choice I think would be great because people would have to say uh so for those of you who might not know rank choice when you go in you go in and vote and say you have three candidates you vote your first choice then you vote your second choice and then you vote your third choice right and what happened in Alaska is the um her name's slipping my mind but she was an indigenous Alaskan woman yes she and She won the most, but not a majority. And then Sarah Palin was in second, uh, but not a majority. And then the third person, this third candidate was eliminated. But then the people who voted for him, they counted up their second and third choice votes. And more people of the third candidate voted for the, uh, the candidate who won, than voted for the candidate who lost. And Uh, I think that's completely Democratic. I think um, the former governor Palin obviously lost. So maybe she's trying to explain why she lost, but there's nothing fraudulent about it, particularly if everybody knows that that's how the vote's going to be when you go into the election. It would be different if you said we're all going to have you know, a straight up single vote, and then you change the rules in the middle of the election, that might be fraudulent, but that's not what happened in Alaska. Everybody knew, everybody voted. And I think it was fantastic. It it saved time. It gave people an opportunity to have a more complex response right. to the issues. And um, I think it'd be fantastic
2: if we had, a, here,
0: this is my personal opinion now,
2: uh, if we had it in Georgia, I think it'd be great. How common is this type of voting, this ranked voting? Does anybody know? I don't think it's very common. I think Alaska just shifted to
0: it. I think there might be a state or two out west that does it, but I'd have to look it up to be sure.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very, appealing. Common. It's it's very not- appealing. I like the way you phrase it, that it uh, gives us, gives the voter uh, a more nuanced or more complex response in the voting booth. Well,
0: not only that, it saves taxpayer dollars because here at almost every election in Georgia, if there's a third party, you're guaranteed to have a runoff election practically. Right. So that means that now we're going to have to pay poll workers. We're going to have to pay the taxpayer is got to foot the bill for this additional election that um, usually isn't all that helpful. You could resolve this with a with a tiered voting system.
2: Yeah, I like it. I would be in favor of it.
0: Does that answer your question, Joshua?
2: Uh, yeah, it does. And I got you, uh, what. What are the, your thoughts?
0: Do you like it or no? Uh, I think it's a more uh, democratic uh, way of voting. Um, I don't see any. I, I was asking because I was wondering how Amer- average Americans feel like it after um, Sarah Palin's comment on it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, if I mean, I don't know what is necessarily motivating her. I can I can guess, but I, I would imagine that. She would tell a different story if she had won. You know, I mean, we have to be careful of what these politicians say. Just because they say it doesn't mean it's the 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 law. But um, you know, September's time uh, to take a loss. Shannon,
2: Shannon, this is the other elephant in the room. Uh, when Sarah Palin loses an election, uh, it's an automatic response that there's fraud and there's some sort of uh, irregularity with the voting. Uh, that's another. Uh, factor or another consequence of this midterm is coming up are the Republicans going to accept defeat or is any conservative defeat automatically indicative of fraud? Well,
0: you know, if we're going to have a democratic system, then you have to lose. Someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. And the person who loses, in my opinion, should show a uh, leadership to, to, you know, say, hey, I fought hard, I lost, I'm going to work to make this country or this state as successful as possible. But, you know, with with no evidence, and that's part of the problem, the the calls for fraud, there's, there's no evidence that any of it happened. So, okay, if you believe there's fraud, let's go to the courts, let's get it sort of sorted out. No problem. I got no problem with that. But then once there's determined to be no fraud, let's move on. Um, I'm looking at the comments and marshall newkirk he, he's he want he added a, a comment here that kind of I think fits in nicely here you know just a comment he says I think he did a little bit of research or maybe he knew, knew this but the comment says rank choice was voted on and implemented in 2020 in Alaska so it's been there for a couple of years right uh, which which is a red state, but when they voted on it in Ma, they voted against the rank voting right. but in alaska they voted for it right i think that's what the comment is saying and then but palin is now saying it's fraudulent but it can't be fraudulent because everybody agreed to it in 2020 right you might not like it that's different from being fraudulent
1: the independent bloc is great it's a lot large especially for libertarian like myself which is a good thing but do you think it's from poor candidates do you think it's frustration of the two party system maybe it's something else and along those lines do you see in the future the U.S. having a stronger representation in Congress
2: of a third party
1: could be Green Party, could be Libertarians, anyone.
2: No, I'll just say that uh, you know, kind of following up on what I said earlier about uh, extremists on both sides, sort of entrenched in their beliefs and inability to move from them. Uh, you can see in the Republican Party, for instance, there are a lot of people who would describe themselves as Reagan Republicans, who want nothing to do with sort of the MAGA Republicans today. So it's conceivable to me that the Republican Party could splinter. I suppose, uh, I suppose you could make an argument that perhaps the Democratic Party with its uh, progressive wing and then it's more traditional middle of the road wing uh, could fragment. I don't, I don't expect either of these things to happen, but certainly the, uh, the potential is there. I think especially among the Republicans because like I said, my family is largely conservative and um, and voted conservatively for Bush and for Reagan over the years, and regard uh, Trump as an aberration, and uh, and and don't feel like they're a part of that Republican Party anymore. So I don't know. It's uh, that's a complicated that's a complicated issue because it it gets to identity politics as well, and when you get into that, you get into a lot of uh, real quicksand. What do you think, Shannon?
0: Well, I I said no, because I just don't think that the structure of the Constitution allows for three parties. Um, The history of political parties in America is one in which if a third party emerges, like the Republican Party was originally a third party in the the 1850s, it will eventually usurp one of the other parties. Right. So... I don't think that there's a lot of room for third parties in America. There, there may be room for people to go back and forth or to flip or to, to, to be innovative with their political choices. And there's always probably gonna be a sort of third party that in a particular time gets some traction like Ross Perot did um, when- uh, Back in 92. Yeah, when Clinton uh, defeated Bush. Um, and Ralph Nader did it, you know, during the George W. Bush um, election. But they never have a chance of winning. And I don't even think they really have a shot at um, at winning uh, a house, a seat in the House or the Senate, generally speaking. Now, there is a couple of caveats with this. If we go back to reconstruction times, uh in the south in particular there's a couple of political movements the populist party uh with tom watson now tom watson eventually became a really uh, let's say intense racist yeah uh but before that he was running you know on with some biracial political programs sure and um in virginia this political party named the readjusters, mm-hmm. uh, they had a biracial platform. They wanted to fund public schools. They wanted to eliminate a, the poll tax. That's a, that's a tax that people would have to pay in order to, to be able to vote. They repealed that. And they were able to take over the state of Virginia. They had uh, the, I think they had the state legislature. They had the governor. They had a U.S. senator and they had a majority of congressmen were from this readjuster party. So uh, I don't know, maybe that gives you you some hope, Clifton, of a third party. If there is any success historically, it's been at the state level. Mm -hmm. At the federal level, um, I just think that I think for third parties to be successful, you'd have to change the Constitution.
2: Well, and
0: one bet, other bet, thing I'll say, sorry, I just say one other thing that the Founding Fathers never intended us to have political parties in the first place. So right.
2: even the, see the system is, is beyond them. Remember the Jefferson, Jefferson-Burr tie in 1800 led to the passage of the 12th Amendment so that there are political parties. I'm glad you brought up Tom Watson um, and the populist. Uh, Watson initially sought a biracial alliance, Blacks and Whites and then rejected it when it did not meet with electoral success. And Watson discovered that race always trumps class and everything else. Um, So the populace themselves, of course, were then absorbed by the Democratic Party. Remember, I think it was William Jennings Bryan who was the perennial candidate. Uh, Do you remember the Dixiecrats after World War II? Here in the South, especially, they were led by Strom Thurmond. Uh, they rejected Truman's notion of uh, racial equality in the military. And uh, again, it was based on race. And then, of course, in the 1960s and early 70s, you had the, um, uh, the George Wallace movement. And I forget what his party was called, the American Liberty Party or something. I can't remember. But, of course, Wallace uh, was a formidable candidate and um, frightened both Humphrey and Nixon, um, as one who could siphon off a sizable number of votes and perhaps even electoral votes, but of course, um, none of these uh, none of these were sustained. So your larger point is well taken.
0: Well, maybe though, as you're saying that, and as we're talking about these people, maybe these these other political moments, uh, which I'm glad you brought those up too, Steve. I was kind of forgetting about the influence, Clifton. Maybe this is. Actually, what third parties do, third parties do sway elections, or they can, they have the capability to sway an election. Yes, and uh, that's probably one of the most important things we should say. I don't know that they'll necessarily win, but they do have the power to sway the election. Ralph Nader was just pillored, pilloried for his uh, basically stealing votes from uh, I think it was John Kerry at the time. Um, And Ross Perot, uh, again, was criticized by conservatives for taking votes from George Herbert Walker Bush. They only get maybe two or three percent of the vote. But, um, you know, it's enough to perhaps in a close election sway the election. So third parties could play a key role. Uh, If not win, they certainly can. uh, They can sway it. Shannon, what was the election where the Socialist
2: Party did so well? Was it 1912? Debs. 19, uh, he, uh, 19,
0: um, in 19, was it 12 or 16? 16. So he did well in 1912. I think in 1916, i have to go back and look for sure, but I think it's 1916, he got 10% of the vote, the best ever third party accomplishment in American history. 10% of the vote, which at that time, amounted to 1 million votes he got.
2: And that was unapologetically a socialist party.
0: Oh, yeah. Socialism um, at that time was very popular, uh, particularly during war, uh, because a lot of socialists were upset with Woodrow Wilson administration with the Alien Sedition Act and the Espionage Act, which basically attacked labor unions and immigrants and um, other uh, people who, who did the work of the, the war effort in a lot of ways.
2: And you remember that Eugene Debs himself was imprisoned.
0: Yeah, in Atlanta. He did time in Atlanta. He actually ran for president, I think, from the Atlanta prison uh, in 1920. And of course, he was very ill there at yeah. that time. He eventually got Released from prison because he was too ill. And then afterwards he died shortly after. But yeah, um, there's been third parties from the more conservative side, from the more liberal side, from the socialist side. Um, they can sway elections. Sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of History Matters, the podcast about history, teaching history, and why it matters. Join us for part two of Why We Vote, where Steve Clifton and I make predictions on the Georgia election and the federal midterm election. Hope to see you next time.